When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Dan. Welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, a couple things coming for you on this podcast. In the first part of the pod, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, and I discuss three things we're thinking about as the Browns begin their preparations for the New York Jets. Now, it's not really Jet-centric. It's kind of anything. I explain it off the top, so I won't waste your time here. That's coming up in the first half. In the second half of the podcast, our film guy, Lance Reisland, uh, has three things that he's been thinking about since Sunday. So we get into some topics with him. That'll come up in the second half. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, I always tell you, get on board. Now's the time. Cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. I actually wrote today's. You can become one of our tech subscribers and you get access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. All right, here we go. Our Wednesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Here we go, our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ashley Bastock. Lance Reisland coming up in the second half of this podcast. Uh, he's got some things that he wants to uh, to chat about what he saw on Sunday in the Browns' victory over the Carolina Panthers. So that's coming up in the second half. But first off, uh, I wanted to just sort of open the week for everyone as we get into week two. I just kind of want to know what everyone's thinking right now about the Browns. It can be whatever you want. It can have something to do with the Jets. It can have something to do just bigger picture about the Browns, something you saw on Sunday. I joked before we came on, it can be something about the Browns in 2027 if you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, Just something you're thinking about the Browns right now as we start week two off here on a Wednesday. So Mary Kay, why don't you start us off? Well, you guys, I mean, I walked away from that game thinking a whole lot about Jacoby Brissett and how he looked in that game and how they're going to get through these first 11 weeks without Deshaun Watson with a passing game that looked like that and a quarterback, uh, you know, that played slow and was largely ineffective. If you look up his pro football focus grade, it was 46 point something. It was like 46.2 or something like that. Uh, starting grades are usually around in the seventies, a decent grade is in the seventies. So, you know, he didn't grade out at all. We saw what it looked like live. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, just from that very first drive, the overthrow to Amari Cooper, we saw an overthrow to Kareem Hunt. We saw, uh, we saw David Njoku open one time on, I believe it was a throwaway, there, there were a lot of things like that. He was very, very off. And he ended up only completing 18 of 34 attempts, 147 yards, one touchdown, uh, no interceptions for a 74 rating. The one person that he did have some chemistry with was Donovan Peoples-Jones. That was in part because Donovan Peoples-Jones made some really amazing contested catches. He did a great job with those. Uh, but for the most part, he did not connect well with his other pass catchers and some of them didn't even get any targets or only got one David Njoku got one target David Bell got no targets Um, so you know Amari Cooper three catches for 17 yards so this passing game has got to get its act together it's got to get its act together and it has to do it really quickly because it's going to get a lot tougher from here and if teams look at that tape and see how things were so slow developing and slow moving uh, it's going to get increasingly difficult. So, you know, that that was my takeaway from that game was that they need much better quarterback play than they got. 
Okay, so I have two things here. First of all, PFF, I have a bone to pick with your grades. That grade actually feels about right. Like watching that game, the eyeball test and the grade matchup. Mm-hmm. But PFF, just real quick, Patrick Mahomes completed <laughs> 30 of 39 passes for 360 yards, five touchdowns, and a 144-2 rating on Sunday. He was the eighth highest graded quarterback by passing grade from PFF behind with a 75.1 behind mm. Gene, behind Jameis Winston and Geno Smith and Ryan oh. Tannehill and Jalen Hurts. Oh. Sometimes yeah. I have issues with PFF's grading system. However, yeah. well, I do too. In this case, this is this is how you use it when you're watching the game and then you look at the grade and it says, yeah, I think I kind of saw the same thing there. Okay, that's when it really makes sense. And I'm worried about this passing game moving forward. I, I really am. And, you know, the I, I haven't really looked into the Jets a whole lot yet. Um, it seems like uh, their rookie corner, uh, Sauce Gardner, traded it, uh, graded out pretty well. But I think you're going to be able to throw the ball on them. If TJ Watts out, I think you'll be able to throw the ball on the Steelers, although Mike Mike Tomlin can certainly generate a pass rush for, for a night. Um, and the Falcons, I think you should be able to throw the ball on. So I'm a little worried about this passing game when you get through this first month, but Ashley, I, I think it's warranted. What we saw to jo- Jacoby Brissett was just a little bit concerning long-term on Sunday. And I think you were the one on the Hey MK pod yesterday, Dan, that brought up, it's like Jacoby Brissett knows what to do, but it's a matter of can he physically do it a lot of the time? Like these mistakes, like he's looking in the right spot, right? Like he's looking to Amari Cooper on that first drive and he just can't physically make the throw, like a throw that a better quarterback like Deshaun Watson can make. Um, So I do think that those things, I was watching part of the game back this morning and and that first drive, especially that missed touchdown. um, There was another missed touchdown later on. It could have been, he could have looked to either DPJ or Amari, I think, and it might've been a touchdown on the second or third drive of the game. So I do think there definitely are legitimate concerns after that. Like the good thing with Jacoby is he didn't turn the ball over. Right. And we've been saying that as a game manager, that's something he's known for, but like you're saying, Dan, when you get to these harder opponents, you need more than just, I'm not turning the ball over. You need to be able to actually score touchdowns and make some of those big throws. Yeah. Mary Kay, that, that's like when you play, when you play the chargers and I always kind of point to them because that's the first, like, okay, that's the first like big time opponent you've got to face. I think it's week five. Like when you play the Chargers, you're going to have to score 25, 30 points maybe to stay in that game. Now, you know, the Browns defense is really good. I want to see how they look against an offense like that. But, you know, you're going to have to be able to throw the ball. You can't just rely on this grinding it out on the ground as great as these running backs are. You are going to have to be able to have a dynamic passing game at some point to win some of these games. Yeah. And, you know, Every single time he got the ball, I just did not have any, any faith that they could go down field and, and score. I just kept on thinking, and I even said this to you in the press box. I'm like, the defense is going to have to come through and score points for this game, for this team. I mean, there was just never a time where I thought, oh my goodness, you know, he's going to go down there and go five of six on a drive and whip a touchdown pass in there, in there to someone. I mean, they really, really had to rely heavily on their running game. I mean, Nick was just, of course, lights out. Um, but the passing game has got to, to come up to 2022 standards way more than we saw it. Now I'm going to give Jacoby a little bit of a pass because as we have said many times, I don't think they gave him enough first team reps early enough on in training camp. And I don't think they gave him enough time in the preseason games. I think they probably should have let him play a little bit in each one of the three preseason games to see how it's going with, you know, with your center, you know, with Amari. I mean, it's just different in practice. So, you know, let's hope that Jacoby Brissett, for the sake of Browns fans and for the team itself, that he, um, you know, that he found some things that he liked and that he got a little confidence and that he knows now, okay, when I need somebody to make the play for me, I can rely on Donovan Peoples-Jones. And, you know, hopefully he got a lot of good data out of, out of this game because he's going to have to find some things and build on the little successes that he had. This has got to get much better. 
Yeah. And the other part of it is you're going to face tougher defenses too. You know, again, the charge, I keep talking about the chargers. This is now a chargers podcast. <laughs> Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa combined for nine pressures on Sunday against the Raiders. So yeah. like oh, you're yeah. going to be facing some teams that are going to make your life. They aren't just, they can't, it's not just that they can score. It's they're going to make things a lot harder for you offensively when they mm-hmm. generate that pressure. And um, you know, the Browns offensive line is really good, but there's going to be teams that are going to cause you problems offensively and make it hard to score the 26 points that you scored on Sunday. Uh, okay. Here's what I've been thinking about Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt. Uh, our favorite topic here in Cleveland for the last few years. And I'm glad that we finally got to see that backfield pairing. It resulted in a touchdown when Kareem hunt lined up at fullback, but I've been thinking that this has the ability to maybe go off the rails a little bit, not necessarily in practice for the Browns, but I think in the way we talk about it, I feel like the sweet spot for having those two on the field together is probably close to where it was on Sunday, which was about six or seven snaps. I'd maybe up that to 10 to, you know, I could, I'd be fine with maybe in the 10 to 15 snap range, depending how many offensive snaps you have. I feel like the Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb backfield is more of a, I think gimmick might be the wrong word, but I'm going to use it anyway. A little bit more of a gimmick part of your offense, but not like a a staple of your offense. Like we shouldn't see it for 30 snaps a game. It should kind of remain in this six to 15 snap range. Am I, am I wrong about that? You know what, Dan? I, I don't think that you're wrong about that. I think six is too few and I think 30 is too many. I don't think that needs to be the staple of the offense. I don't think that, you know, you need to have that be your identity by any stretch of the imagination, because you're right. It is, you know, it's a great strategy and tactic, but it is just that. There are many other things that you can do. The reason why I think it should be more than six and probably at least double that is because it's not just two running backs. It's a, an almost a slot receiver in Kareem Hunt in the same way that Christian McCaffrey is almost a slot receiver. So you need to get your best players on the field right now. Uh, You need all hands on deck. If you've got guys that can make plays and score touchdowns, especially guys that can score the football right now, then you need those guys out on your football field. And I think that that's why uh, one of the reasons why I think Kareem Hunt is so valuable. He's got a nose for the end zone whether he's running it in there or whether whether he's catching it and we saw that on Sunday so therefore I would probably double up on it but again not necessarily in the eye formation with Kareem lined up as the fullback um, but Kareem split out wide Kareem in the slot I mean right now you know I might rather have him in the slot than David Bell you know I mean you want somebody that's going to be a sure fire playmaker because they're hard to come by. So I need to see more of it, but I don't need to see 30 snaps of it. Actually, I think that's where I'm at. Like I want to see more, but I don't want to see it become like a primary part of the offense. Yeah, that's, that feels right to me. And the other part of this, I know we've talked about before, oh, you, you know, the preservation aspect of things, right. And especially when you have two guys who did miss decent chunks of time each last year because of injuries. And I know Nick was out because of COVID for one game, but I think that still kind of has to be in the back of your mind. Like I get wanting to have your best playmakers on the field. I think that's the way to go, especially when you have a quarterback who's a game manager who maybe isn't going to make all those big throws, but I do still think you kind of need to be wary of the tread on the tires with each of them is because the last thing you want during this 11 game stretch is one or both of them to be battling, you know, nagging injuries, especially because they are such a big part of your offense. So I do think there's a happy medium here. And interestingly on Sunday, they were actually most effective when they were running Nick Chubb and 11 personnel. And they had that third receiver out there. I think, I think David Bell might've been part of those packages um, that when they were, they averaged like seven yards of carry with a certain lineup when they were in 11 personnel. Um, and they, they kind of did a lot of that, which I thought was interesting. And I think that, I think Nick Chubb is kind of difficult for teams when you're make them put more safe, more defensive backs on the field and you kind of spread it out in order to run the ball a little bit. And th- you know, they, they expect their tight ends to be really effective blockers in the run game too. 
the one other thing really quick I'm going to say is I do think maybe the blocking is like an underrated part of what Kareem can do in this offense because on that first drive it was like third and three and he was actually the lead blocker and Nick ran behind him and they got the first down like so plays like that are you know also kind of show off his versatility in that way but again like you can't in my opinion, where really wear Kareem out or Nick out um, by playing them together a ton, like 30 plus snaps, like you're saying. And and when you talk about 11 personnel and how effective it was in running Nick out of it, I mean, you can really consider Kareem as yeah. part of 11 personnel if he's serving as your slot guy or as a wideout. So, um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely double up on it. Um, because again, I, I just think that you, you need guys on the field more to keep moving those chains and to be able to stay on the field. And, and I just think Kareem is, has a tremendous ability to be able to do that. All right, Ashley, what are you thinking about today? Well, I am thinking about today, what I've thought about for the last, I don't know, month and a half. And that is (laughs) Cade York, um, as you two know, um, for those who don't know, I had a big story run on Cade York this morning that finally went up that I've been working on for quite a while. And researching this story and talking to people who know Cade York best, who have known him for years, and seeing obviously the 58-yard game winner against the Panthers this weekend, it just kind of I'm I'm fully on board the Cade York train. And I've I've you know been advocating for he's a rookie and he's gonna need time and he's gonna make mistakes. And I still think all of those are true, but I just think there is something to this X factor that he has that you need as a kicker that I don't think other guys who have come through here post Phil Dawson have had. And I think he's really set him up for success very nicely, given everything I've learned about his personality. He's kind of a perfectionist who has somehow learned how to compartmentalize that perfection, which I know as a perfectionist, that's something I have not managed to do. I definitely dwell on mistakes, but he doesn't do that. And I think that's probably like the number one thing you need to be able to do as a kicker in the NFL. So it was really interesting getting to talk to him, his dad, some of his former coaches, including Greg McMahon at LSU, and just kind of figuring out what makes this guy tick. Because I I had a hunch coming when he came here that he was going to be a different kind of player. And I really got that sense by talking to everyone in his orbit. It's it's a great story. And I'll, um, I'll put a link to it in our uh, podcast uh, description. If, if you can't find it there, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. And I, I almost feel like, I mean, Mary Kay, maybe you feel the same way. I feel like I've sort of been working on this story for a month and a half, just watching <laughs> Ashley try and put everything together for this story. There was a lot of effort that went into that story. So definitely go give it a read, but I'll, I'll say this. This is one of the many reasons I could never be a kicker in the NFL. I am not a perfectionist by any stretch of the imagination. So I'd miss like three kicks and like, just be, eh, it happens, whatever. <laughs> Like, I did think it was interesting too, just really quickly that Mike Prefer told me like, they have to tell Cade to stop working on his technique so much. Like it's kind of crazy. And he's such a technique driven coach, which we know. Yeah. So it was funny to have a perfectionist writing about a perfectionist. So (laughs) it takes one to know one. And and that's why I think you elicited such good information and such good quotes uh, out of everyone, including Kate. So it is a really good story. So if you do get a chance, please go read it. As Dan mentioned, he'll put the link in there. Uh, But the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, the timing just would not have uh, been better. And yeah, we watched, you know, when you have a takeout that you're working on like that and you know every sports writer knows what this feels like it just I mean it's just like it's with you it's like a little gremlin sitting on your shoulder I mean it's like you can't shake it until you get it out of your brain it just rattles around in there all the information that you have and all the quotes that you have and how you're going to approach it and it just takes over your life right so uh it's a it's a very hard undertaking and you did a great job with it and i mean like i said the timing couldn't have been perfect um because what an unbelievable moment that was and i just love when he walked into uh the media room (laughs) he's like well how you doing and that little (laughs) smirk on his face yeah you know when everybody started laughing about that it was just uh it just really captured that moment so well just like I thought you captured him in that story 
it's so interesting to kind of hear from Cade how he basically says, and I, I include the quote in the story, that kicking changed his personality. Like he was always kind of this very dry, sarcastic guy and and it got a great anecdote from his dad about their, you know, since Cade was so focused on mistakes growing up, they would say, like, from the movie Happy Gilmore, just go to your happy place. Like, they would reference that all the time. But Cade says, you know, I've kind of learned just to not get too high or too low with anything because that's kind of how I have to be while I kick. So, like, that sometimes people might think he's he's a jerk. I think Cade used another word, but it's just like the nature of his job kind of <laughs> impacting his personality. And I think that was so fascinating to kind of hear somebody admit that yeah I was I was gonna say kind of along those lines Mary Kay I thought it was funny um you know he talked about he knew it was good like before it went through and in my mind I'm sitting in the press conference and I'm thinking like you know Twitter's always there's always gifts and videos of Steph Curry like shooting a three turning around and like running up the court that was my first thought so I asked him like so was it sort of like a Steph Curry three and he just kind of shrugged and was like sure why not (laughs) just a very cool customer yeah, he, he's got a great personality, um, as you know, as Ashley, you know, captured and wrote about. But the thing that also occurred to me, you guys, is, um, it, and it just blows my mind, is the fact, okay, I have a 21-year-old daughter, all right? <laughs> yeah. Cade York is 21 years old. For him to stand in a stadium with 70,000 people or whatever, 75,000 people, and have the weight of, now he was on the road, of course, but to have the weight of Cleveland Browns fans and that whole team on his shoulders at the age of 21, he just became old enough to buy a beer. Let me see, when was the birthday again? He just became old enough to buy a beer in January. I mean, this is a really, really young man, right? We always say they drafted them young and they developed them. He is young. The, but that it really hits home for me to have a 21 year old who still occasionally will call me from college and wonder, you know, should I sleep at home in my own uh, apartment all by myself right now? Or should I, you know, should I have the chicken or the steak today or whatever? <laughs> I mean, to have, uh, you know, to have such a young guy like that with so much pressure on him, it really drives the point home. Just mm-hmm. uh, just what that kind of thing means. This is the burning question, though. Ashley, what are you thinking when Cade York walks out there to kick a 58-yard field goal and you're sitting on this, like, you're sitting on this takeout that, like, oh, my God, if he makes this, this thing's going to just blow up. Or if he misses it, do I have to wait, like, two more weeks to put this thing up? Yeah, I was there was no one more worried than me. Like I was probably more anxious than Cade York when, <laughs> when I realized it was going to be a 58 yarder because I, I know joke and I have the text. His dad texted me on like Monday who I talked to for the story and asked me if the story had run yet. Like obviously wanting to know after that big kick. And I told him, I'm like, Oh no, it's going up tomorrow. This was last night. And I'm like, ironically, I had a feeling it was going to come down to him just because like I've been working on this story I just like sat there I had a feeling going into the game I I just felt like he was going to get a chance to win the game I didn't know it was going to be as long of a kick as it was but yeah that was that was my pure panic because I finished a draft of this story on Saturday night I texted Mary Kay I think at like 9 30 and was like it's I have a draft done I'll come back to it on Monday and all of a sudden on Sunday when he wins it I'm like I have to do edits now like this needs to go up (laughs) as soon as humanly possible <laughs> and it, oh yeah it worked out thankfully so thank thank god Cade made that kick for multiple reasons but mainly for my story so it could get out of my brain and into the world <laughs> well <laughs> the other thing about these kind of stories is we also all well know is again like as you guys mentioned I mean there are times when we have a story like this and then a guy will either get injured before the story and you can't write the story or he goes into the tank before the story and you can't write the story or we won't mention what happens (laughs) on the other end, but occasionally, let's just say occasionally you write this story about a guy and then, you know, like you might not see him for a little while, but we're not going to talk about that because we don't want to jinx anybody. But remember Dan, when I did the, um, the Danny Shelton interview, Yeah. And he, I mean, it was just this, he opened up his heart to me. 
I mean, he was crying. I think I was crying during the interview. And then he, he kind of went into the tank on the field and it didn't make sense for me to write this great feature story about him when he wasn't playing well at all. It just did it. I wasn't feeling it. And one thing led to another and then he was gone. And so I still have this amazing (laughs) Danny Shelton interview, you know, somewhere that, that never got written and it ended up on the cutting room floor. So sometimes those things happen too, but fortunately your timing was impeccable and you had a great story to go along with the great kick. I, I had one, this one made it just under the finish line. There was a receiver. Browns fans probably remember Derek Willies, um, <laughs> yep. who was like a star for like one game. And yep. uh, I think it was in the XF, whatever, not the XFL, <laughs> whatever that spring league was this year, uh, the USFL. So I found out that he like lived with this family in Iowa in high school. They like adopted him and like uh, just found out. And it was like a race. There was another writer actually working on a story too, kind of something different, but I was like racing all week. I'm like, I have to get this up by Friday because who knows what's going to happen with this guy. He was slated to start the game. It was a race. I was transcribing hours of tape and I get it up Friday morning. And about three hours later, we find out that he breaks his collarbone in practice and is done. (laughs) And the other writer who was working on a story did not get to post his story I barely, got, I had like three hours of shelf life with mine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> I, I mean, you do, you really have those like, yeah. oh my gosh, like mini heart attacks. I mean, it happened. It, I've been lucky, but last year when I did the big JOK story, the game before it went up like on a Tuesday and I don't even remember <laughs> what game it was. He like left. Like I remember he went to the locker room and it ended up being something minor and he didn't come back to the game. But for a while I was in limbo for like 24 hours waiting to see what was wrong with JOK and the story would still work. Yeah, it's stressful, but sometimes it all comes together mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and it, and it did for you. So good for you because, um, you know, that's what everybody wants to talk about and read about right now. So we were just very fortunate and uh, great job. Thank you. All right. Link to that story will be in the, uh, like I said, in the description of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And then also, if you can't find it, just go to cleveland.com slash Browns. It will be there. Or Ashley's Twitter. I'm sure it will be uh, mm-hmm. all over yeah, that it's as the well. Pinned, it's the pinned tweet now. So you can Woo-hoo! easily find it. It's at AshleyBastock42. So just head there and you'll see that also. All right. Um, Lance Reisland coming up on the other side of the break. Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, joined by Lance Reisland, who you probably know does all sorts of film work uh, on our site. Uh, you can read his work at cleveland.com slash Browns. Lance, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. So I texted you and said, hey, can you come on the pod? Can you think of three things that you're excited to talk about from Sunday's game, the win over Carolina? So let's get to it. Give me number one. Uh, well, I, for, without question, I thought their defense played really well. Um you know, they had, they had, they only were on the field for 50 snaps uh, and 48 of those snaps, in my opinion, were very, very good. Uh, they gave up 261 yards, but 125 of those in two plays. So I was very impressed. More importantly, I thought they had a great game plan and knocking at, uh, balls down, uh, knowing that they were going to try to quick set Baker and get the ball out of his hands. Um, I thought they played with great energy. I thought they ran to the ball very well. Um, like I said, I think they, they had a plan. They knew kind of knew what, uh, uh, what Carolina had in plan. And I thought they, I thought they executed very well, except for a couple plays. Yeah. So, so Alton, you mentioned the batting down passes, but, but what did you see as Joe Woods kind of approach coming into this game? Well, I think, you know, it was, I think Ben McAdoo actually helped them out a little bit. I'm not sure why Christian McCaffrey wasn't a, a focal <laughs> point of their offense. That makes, um, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, you know, I thought they would, even though it's not in his, his, uh, his MO, I thought they would attack us a little bit more downhill with the run game because that's, you know, if we have a weakness, not a weakness, but we have somewhere on our defense or on the Browns have a defense, uh, a part of their defense that needs um, to be answered to be those DTs. So I was a little shocked that they uh, didn't run the ball right at them uh, a little bit more than they did. But I think Bill Wood's plan was to uh, make Baker beat them, play really good, uh, play re- be really good on first and second down, get it to third down, and then use those pass rushers. I, I was very surprised early in the game. I think they threw on the first three plays, if I remember right. They they were very pass heavy early in this game. And I was also surprised. And I, I don't want to take all the credit away from the Browns defense, but I'm kind of a believer with a talent like McCaffrey, 
you don't shut that guy down necessarily. You more just kind of slow him down. You know, you should be able to get something going with him. I, I was a little surprised, too, that they didn't try to kind of find ways to get him the ball more. Well, you know what? He's so versatile. You can use him out of the backfield. You can you can line him up at receiver. Um, there's so many different things you can do with him in terms of trying to, you know, if you can't if you can't pass protect, um, you can get him in screens. You can get him uh, going in the quick game. Uh, if your run game's going well, he's he's good enough to run downhill in the power, you know, counter game, uh, inside outside zone. So I was shocked too in the fact that they just didn't get him touches. So an, another guy in that defensive line that I don't think we've talked about enough is Alex Wright, and he got out there early. Um, I don't think he played inside, but they actually moved Garrett inside when Alex Wright came in a couple times. And I know That's Wright right. got his hands got his hands on a football. Um, what is he? You know, we talked about him on our draft pod way back before training camp. If people want to go find that on the podcast feed, but you know, bringing in Alex and kind of moving Miles around, how does that sort of change the makeup of this defensive line? Well, you know, it gives they have a they have a body type that they like on the defensive line. They like those long guys with long arms. Um, you know, all those guys can play inside and outside. Uh, obviously, those guys, you know, Wright and Clowney and Miles. Those guys are more outside guys, but they can play inside, especially if you get in those third down situations. And the Browns like to go uh, to those wide threes and those wide fives on passing downs. And inside on those guards, those guards don't move their feet as well, usually as those tackles. So uh, I think it's a great matchup. It gives the uh, Browns great length um, in terms of, especially what the Panthers were trying to do. It was definitely in the game plan, uh, knowing that um, Baker was going to throw the ball quick and we got to get our hands up because we're not going to be, we're not going to be able to get home. So I thought that was uh, I thought it was a very good. You know, it's a great idea to move Miles inside. I think Clowney can play inside. I think they can uh, um, they can use a, a bunch of different looks in there for what they want to do. And and just before we move on here, Miles Garrett, his performance. I, I think I saw a graphic that PFF rated him as their highest defensive graded player. Um, just Miles and this felt like a dominant game for Miles. He had the back to back sacks, but it just felt like. Miles was creating pressure all game and not just him Clowney was in there and other guys too, but miles specifically was really creating pressure and, and kind of having his way with that rookie at left tackle. Oh, there's no question. And there's a couple of times in the second sack, uh, second sack, they actually tried to chip him. Um, and he went through both. So yeah, that especially at the end of the game, uh, in that third quarter, those just his speed rush and his ability to bend, um, you know, not even talking about his moves or his strength or his bull rush or spins or counters, just his ability to get up field and win with speed, uh, that young rookie had a, a ton of trouble with him. Anything else uh, Anything else on the good part of the defense before we move on here? Um, like I said, I just thought they had a great plan. I, th- I, I thought they stuck to it. You know, you, know, you, give, you take away the couple big plays, and, and they're under 150 yards of offense. And I can, you can even throw in the uh, broken play to McCaffrey where he had a long run. So, you know, they played very well. Um, for 90, 95% of the snaps with our offense. So they're going to have to be even closer to a hundred, I think. Okay. Give me your, give me the second thing that, that you're really excited to talk about from this game. Uh, commitment to the run game. Not only, obviously the run game has always been good. Um, but I think that the fact that they stuck with the run game and that, you know, Chubb had 22 carries and Hunt had 11 carries. Uh, they ran the ball on some third downs. Um, they commit, they were committed to it and they stuck with it. They even had a little wrinkle, uh, where they got a big play and they would flip wheels over to the tight end on the right side and they would run zone after a play. So they had some wrinkles that they threw in there, but they were committed to it. And for what to the commitment to the run game is important for all three phases of the game for the Browns. Uh, it will shorten the game. If they can run the ball and score points, it's going to put tremendous pressure on that offense opposing offense. And if they can score points, that offense knows it has to throw the ball because their possessions are going to be limited. Uh, and then you tie that in with, we have, you know, the Browns have a great kicker. Uh, they, their punter, he, uh, he averaged 48, uh, 46 yards a, a punt. I uh, pinned him down there a couple of times. So they're going to have to be good, especially good on defense and especially good uh, running the ball and special teams. So all three phases got to kind of work together and running the ball allows you to do that. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about that before we came on. I had written after the game that I think the big question out of Sunday's game is how sustainable is this formula? And I think against certain teams like Carolina and Atlanta and Pittsburgh and kind of these first four, it's going to work. I think there's going to be like New England. They can probably do this. I think there's probably going to be some games like the Chargers 
you might just get outscored, but you know, mm-hmm. the goal is to just kind of keep your head above water until Deshaun Watson comes back. So I think in that sense, if running the football and using these two backs is kind of how they're going to do this thing, it just might work. Yeah. You know, I, I have always believed that coaching me, my father's always taught me, uh, you know, running the ball, stopping the run, uh, those things travel well. Uh, they travel well in weather. They travel well on the road. Uh, and so they can run the ball. like, And obviously they're not going to run the ball um, super successful like they did last week. But when you run the ball like that, it's also going to create opportunities for Brissett in terms of he's going to get more man coverage. He's going to get less less secondary guys. They're going to move those safeties in the box more. They're going to they're going to allow those corners. They're going to they're going to test them. And I think he uh, he has to hit those, uh, you know, those open guys when they're there. Uh, but I think he'll have some open guys because teams are going to load up to stop the run. I, I think this was probably the most committed Kevin Stefanski has been to the run start to finish in, in any game we've we've seen him coach um, that, that I can remember. I think we've seen him pass early and kind of then lean on the run to bring it home. But just from snap one to you know, snap, whatever this, I, I felt was the most committed he'd been to just, we're going to run the football. Yeah. And they did a lot of different stuff. They ran their pin and pool schemes, their inside outside zone. Um, obviously they ran, uh, their counter game. They got Batonio out and around with Teller out and around. They did, uh, they ran their full, uh, their full run game and they did it out a lot of different sets. You know, Stefanski has been known to, uh, getting that 13 personnel. Those plays can all be run out of different personnels. And, and I think the Browns are showing that they're, they're sticking with their base. They're running inside outside zone. They're running counters. They're just doing them out of different formations this year. And uh, I agree with you. They were, they were committed to it. Um, the one thing I, the one I remember is uh, it was third and four on the 17 yard line. And I always felt like we could run the ball. Hunt got stopped. They made a great play. I was really okay with that call. We kicked the field goal. We went up, uh, I think we went up 23, 14 at that point in time in the third quarter. And I really liked that call. People are like, you know, we got to throw the ball there. I really liked it because, if you're committed to it then be committed to it. And uh, I thought that was a sign that, you know, third and four for me uh, has been a pass down for the Browns the last couple of years. And it was, it was nice to see us uh, put it in the hands of Hunt or, or Chubb to try to get that first down. So the, the other thing you brought up was how the Browns used Michael Dunn. Well, you mentioned in a text on Sunday, how the Browns used Michael Dunn. And I thought that was interesting. He was in the game a fair amount as that obviously reports is eligible. He's not going out for any passes, but they bring him in as that extra lineman. And I, I thought that too was kind of a sign of the Browns do want to, they really do want to commit to this run game. And, and they were doing some interesting things, sort of where they were lining guys up and, and how they were using Michael Dunn when they brought him in. Well, you know, they, they, he, he played that tight end. They flipped wheels over a couple of times, like I said, after they'd have a good, uh, a good run or a good completion. So it, they got in that hurry up and, and ran that zone, uh, zone right. Uh, they went through it a couple of times. And yeah, they're committed to, and the thing I like is that they're running their stuff. They're running the same stuff that we watched in camp uh, all, you know, for three weeks in terms of they're running their zone. Uh, Those guys, to me, when you have Teller and you have Bentonio, but those guys have all been successful. And um, I was just happy, happy for the Browns in terms of um, they stuck to it. They had a plan and they kind of went with it. And and I think that showed uh, progress in terms of uh, running the ball. So I want to ask you one more question on this topic, because we actually talked about this in the first half of the pod, uh, the Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb backfield together. It was about six or seven plays total on Sunday. And I kind of argued that the sweet spot for those two being on the field together is maybe six to 15 plays a game. So not, not like a gimmick. This is, you know, I described it as a gimmick in the first half of the pod, but I don't really mean it as a gimmick, just to sort of a, uh, you know, more package you're going to use here and there, not necessarily the bread and butter of your offense. Do you agree with that or am I off base? Well, you know what? I actually like it a little bit more because I think Kareem Hunt can do more. And uh, in terms of what they do, uh, he can be that guy who, uh, that tight end when they run split zone, who can sneak out the back door. He can be the guy in the flat on their levels concept. Um, When Deshaun Watson gets back, he can be the guy, the option guy on their zone read stuff. Uh, he can catch the ball out of the backfield on their screens. He can um, he can work the arrows, the uh, the option routes. Um, the, he got missed. He got matched up against uh, Thompson uh, on one of Brissett's key misses. Um, so I think he can do. I think five to ten is the is the uh, magic number, maybe in terms of both of them being in the backfield. But having them both on the field, I think you can go higher than that. I think you can you can use Hunt in different spots and, and even be higher than that. 
you know, if you're going to, if you're throwing that levels to the, to the flat and you're hitting uh, tight ends and you're hitting, why not hit Kareem Hunt? If that's the first level, if that's the first level all the time, why not? Why, and Brissett likes to throw that. Why not have that be Hunt once in a while? Okay. Uh, give me your last thing here. Uh, last thing was their four misses. They had four big misses, two on offense, two on defense. And that was, uh, and the reason I, that stood out to me is that because of their offense is not explosive right now, it really stuck out in terms of those plays have to be covered by the defense and those few big plays that they are presented with have to be made by the offense. Okay. So let, let's divide it up. Let's start with the two on offense. Well, you had the uh, you had the miss to Cooper, uh, you um, which was huge. I thought um, both I think were touchdowns. Uh, they were in cover one coverage, um, and uh, Cooper had Horn on him. Um, I like that matchup. I'm sure the Browns like that matchup. Uh, Cooper beat him right off the line of scrimmage. It actually made uh, caused Horn to fall a little bit. I thought Brissett could have done a little better job of keeping that safety in the middle of the field. And then he could have made that throw a little bit easier, let uh, let Cooper run underneath it. But by not looking that safety off completely, it caused that safety, and he had to put a he had to you know maybe throw a ball a little bit different trajectory than he wanted to. So um, that was a big miss. That was early in the game. That was a big miss. I thought um, if he hits that one, I think I think the Browns are rolling a little bit. Okay, and then what was the other one? The other one was Hunt when Hunt got matched up um, on the uh, sideline. Left sidelines, they went uh, again. Uh, the Panthers went cover one coverage, and this time Brissett did everything right. He kept the safety in the middle of the field with his eyes. Actually, he moved the safety a little bit to the right. Uh, Hunt had the uh, had Shaq Thompson out him out on him at the one receiver, uh, and he ran right by him. Thompson tried to jam him and uh, didn't touch him, and Hunt was wide open. And Brissett did everything right except make the throw. I, I've got I've got to tell you, you know, you mentioned Shaq Thompson and. I don't know how how well you remember the Monday night game against Baltimore a few years ago. Uh, it was that shootout that they had. And that was a game that really stood out to me with the, with Hunt and his versatility and why he causes so many problems. Because there were two plays he made in that game, probably sim- really actually similar to, to this play they missed, where he just cooked whatever linebacker was on him. They got matchups with the linebacker, and he looked like a wide receiver going against a linebacker. And so when you mentioned that he he just got by Shaq Thompson with no trouble, it just it just reminds me of that. Like when Kareem hunts on the field and the defense responds with a linebacker, a lot of times that defense is going to be in trouble unless it's like Michael Parsons or some elite linebacker on the other side. Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think when you talk about uh, available snaps for the both of those guys, yeah, I don't think both of them being in the backfield maybe is uh, you know can be over you know you can do that a little bit too much. But having Hunt out there to do different things, I think, is very possible. Okay, uh, the two on defense. I'm sure Browns fans remember them well. Uh, let's well, talk about let's talk about the first one. Go ahead. Well, the first one, the first one was just a blown coverage. So the first one, the Panthers went uh, hurry up. They had a good third down conversion on a crossing route. Then they went hurry up. Uh, they were in eleven personnel, and for some reason, the Browns got mixed up, and Ward came in the game late. Um, there's been, I've talked to a couple people. Uh, my theory is that they were in cover one. Um, Ward was going to cover the slot and, uh, and, uh, Johnson should have been in the middle of the field for some reason. Um, Delpit did not carry the slot receiver on the vertical. So you had Delpit in the flat. You had JOK who was uh, inside of him. And then you had, the, uh, Newsom below who turned his, who turned, who's in man coverage, turn and ran. So there was no one left. So the tempo and the pace by the Panthers uh, caused that first big play, um, which was uh, just a complete bone coverage by them. Yeah, temp- tempo is always a uh, – I love that word. It's something that I, I wish the Browns – they can't really do it now with Jacoby in this offense, but um, it's something that I, I have always sort of wished Kevin Stefanski would do more of and because I, I think like it caused problems like that. that. Bump wills over. They did a little bit, you know, yeah. with the uh, with the outside zone there. But I'm with you. I think they, um, I think, you know, a lot of times Temple comes down to the quarterback having complete knowledge of the game, and that's one thing Jacoby has. For if he has any limitations, knowledge and understanding of the game is not one of them. So I think you can get into some of that stuff, especially the run game. You can get into Temple with the run game with Jacoby. He'll get you into the right run for sure. And and it's something Sean McVay has done a lot too. Like if things are just mm-hmm. kind of 
slog it along. He'll just up the, he'll change the tempo and he'll change it in the middle of a drive. And, and I love stuff like that. The other one, of course, the one you can't have that one play 75 yard drive, right? When the Panthers needed it, what happened? Well, I have, um, I'm assuming have, that's the one you're talking about. Yes. Yes. I have lots of people who, um, disagree with me. And I, for me, that was a, it was a blown coverage, but it was a good concept by the Panthers and the other one wasn't. So the Browns were in like a read for palms. People call it where the outside Newsom is reading the number two receiver. The number two receiver ran an out route. Now, usually when they're in that two read two or read four palms coverage, that safety has the number two receiver. If he goes vertical, if the number two receiver goes on an arrow or an out, he looks at the number one receiver, which was Anderson in that particular play. For some reason, whatever depth the number two receiver was, he ran the out at about eight to 10 yards. Newsom still took it as he's running an out, but it looked like Johnson thought the guy was vertical enough where he had to cover him as well. So for me, yes, it was a blown coverage. They should have zoned it. They should have just played cover four and each taken a fourth. But for me, that was, I don't want to say a, um, there's never an acceptable blown coverage, but there is at least a reason for that. They, I, I feel, I feel like they, they both thought the depth of the receiver uh, route by number two caused them to do what they did. Okay. Interesting. Um, if you're coaching that defense and, you know, like you said earlier, you take away those two big plays and, and even John Johnson said this after the game, you take away those two plays and it's a dominant performance. Are you saying that as a coach or are you harping on those two big plays? Well, I think you're doing both. I think you're, uh, I think as a, the Browns defense, you know, they're all professionals. And I learned, uh, you know, I've always been a high school coach. and I've watched a lot of uh, college, but being down there with you guys this year, this is a, this is a, this is a business. And I think they know they have to be really good on defense. And I think they can, um, I think they understand that even though they did play great for 48 snaps, in my opinion, they played very, very well. They can't have major blowups. They can't, um, you know, they have to, if they're ever unsure, they have to keep everything in front. There's is not an offense where you say, oh, okay, we're okay because we'll, we'll be able to get that back. So I think you're, I think because everybody's, uh, a lot of these guys are third year in the system. I think you have to coach it um, and you have to explain uh, to those guys what they did. You know, it, it, like that that route to Anderson. I got as a coach, I'm not at all mad about it. I'm mad at myself in terms of, all right, what is the exact depth so it never happens again? Um, because it, once again, that was a, that was an aggressive mistake as compared to the first one, which just was was uh, just a blown coverage. Okay, there we go. Anything else, Lance? Before we uh, before we go here? No, I I thought the other thing I thought is I thought they did a really good job of like. Uh, setting guys up for success, getting Schwartz an early touch. I know Ashley said that earlier uh, in, a, in a tweet, um, getting him a touch on the reverse and things like that, that allowed him to have some confidence. Uh, I, like you said, you guys talked about uh, Chubb and Hunt getting those guys in the backfield and, and being creative. So hopefully the Browns are going to have to be cre uh, creative on offense and find ways to shorten the game and score points. I thought it was interesting too, that Kevin like admitted Kevin, sometimes doesn't want to say anything about anything, but I thought it was interesting. He admitted after the game that they didn't want to try that long field goal, goal early. They went for it on fourth down when they probably shouldn't have, but they wanted to kind of ease Cade York in too. And that's a guy that they have a ton of confidence in, but I thought, I thought that was interesting to, to well, kind of go all, with your Anthony Schwartz point. They have all the, they have all the makings of, you know, I was, I thought like what you said earlier this week and the last couple of days in terms of sustainability, I think the idea, if they, with your kicking and the punting and the defense and scoring enough. Now I think all the games are going to be like this. I don't care who they play unless they just get outscored occasionally, but I don't know if, I don't know if you can just score tons and tons of points on the Browns defense. I think they're pretty good. Um, I think they just, they have, they're going to just have to score enough. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like, you know, I keep talking about the Chargers because that's really the first big time mm -hmm. opponent that they face, you know, depending, I guess, what you think of the Steelers. But um, the, the Chargers are really kind of that first, hey, this team can go win the Super Bowl opponent they face. And I think this defense is going to be a challenge for them. But I also think there's just going to be some games where this team has so little margin for error. Yeah. Like that, that something's like the defense is just going to be off a tick or. Jacoby's going to be whatever the run game is going to be off a ticket. And, and those are just going to be the games where you're going to lose by a couple of scores and you're just going to have to kind of deal with it. And just like I said, stack up as many wins as you can in these first 11. 
I just don't, you know, like I, I'm shocked. I want to see the first team defensively. Like I said, the only question that the Browns seem to have just that hasn't been answered yet is those defensive tackles when the ball is run right at them. I've kind of, I've been all over that all camp because I watched them and they're, they're really talented, but when teams run the ball right at them and I'm not sure if the chargers, I'm not sure if these high scoring teams, uh, what they do well plays into what the Browns do well. I more I worry about the Ravens. I worry about teams like the Ravens and the Titans who are going to run power. I worry about teams that would run the Browns type offense at the Browns defense. The spread, the, the getting the ball out in the flanks, uh, you know, throwing the ball 30, 40 times. Those things are, are a little less worrisome to me. It's the it's the games they could lose 14-7 because the other team does what we, you know, what does what the Browns are trying to do. And they're just running the ball at them and keeping it away from the other team, keeping away from the Browns. Yes. And that is when you worry about a team like the Steelers and, and Najee Harris Correct. and kind of how so there's going to, you know, Steelers are limited too. So they're in terms of quarterbacks. So they're going to run the ball. And right now, if you look at that defense, the, one of the reasons I think they were so successful is that, you know, the um, Panthers had 54 yards rushing. So they barely, they had 19 carries. I think it was 19, 19 for 54. They didn't even try to run it. And if you're not trying to run it, there's defensive tackles. Everybody else, they got elite players at every other every other uh, level. So um, we'll see. Yeah, those teams scare me. I mean, obviously the Chargers are super talented, but the teams that can run the ball downhill until Watson gets back are the ones that scare me because they'll keep it from the Browns. So we'll see. All right. Uh, that's Lance Riceland. He does a lot of film work for us. You can see it uh, when, when it posts to Cleveland Icom slash Browns. And of course, give him a follow on Twitter. It's at Lance Riceland, R-E-I-S-L-A-N-D, uh, Coach Riz on Twitter. You can find him there and give him, we got to get this follower count up, Lance. You, you, you deserve more followers. That's, <laughs> that's what I think. Well, so, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> so help him out here. Give uh, give Lance a follow on Twitter as well. Uh, if you're not subscribed to us on Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, you get a daily newsletter, you get access to exclusive stories. And of course, you can become one of our tech subscribers and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you heard Lance talking about the defensive tackles. If you go back a few shows, you can hear our big preview show that we did live. And Lance did a whole section on the defensive tackles. Um, he had a little film session for everybody but you don't need to see the clips he talked he talked it through really well uh so go back and check that section out kind of in the middle of that pod uh lance i appreciate it thanks for having me dan all right thank you and thank every thanks everyone for listening